Corner Fringe Ministries presents a one-part teaching on fasting. Enjoy. We're going to be talking about something that uh, none of us want to do, but <laughs> something that we need to do more of. And I'm going to talk about something today that I am going to make sure to make it a point that I talk about this at the bare minimum once a year, if not more. And that is fasting. You know, fasting, we need to understand something. Fasting is a portal to the spiritual realm. It's a cry for help. It's an act of faith. It's an act of discipline. And greatest of all, it's an act of war. When the Jewish people were about to be slaughtered, when the Jewish people were about to be completely obliterated by Haman, what did they do? Esther 4, verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. We all know how the story ended. God heard their cry. He didn't just hear their cry. He did what? He delivered them. That's what fasting is all about. Great battles are won because of fasting. Bondages are broken. The bonds of wickedness are loosed. If there's a particular sin that you are struggling with and you can't kick it, you need to listen today because this is how you are going to kick that sin. It's through fasting. You need to fast. You need to crucify the flesh to allow the Spirit of God to take precedence in your temple, to take control. But for all of this to happen, you actually need to know how to fast. See, there's more to it than what most believers realize. There are biblical guidelines that need to be followed when you go to fast so that you can actually uh, you know, achieve the intended results lest you fast in vain. The first guideline is, in fact, the most obvious. What we just read here in Esther, no food, no water. This is not, I'm on a caffeine diet, I feel like I'm fasting, or I'm going to fast from sugar. No, 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 no. Biblical fasting is no food, no water. It's neither eating nor drinking. It's complete deprivation of the flesh. Not a tic-tac should hit your tongue. Not even that. Lest your flesh in any way receive satisfaction and you feed it. We afflict our flesh to be sustained by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. And Yeshua indicates this very thing as he contended with Satan in the wilderness. Listen to what he says. Matthew 4, verse 3. Now the tempter came to Yeshua and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, what was Yeshua doing? Fasting. Forty days, forty nights, right? He was hungry. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we fast, our food becomes the word of God. We proclaim that our sustenance is God alone. Nothing but. You literally starve your flesh to kill it. 
you know, if we starve ourselves, we will die. You're to starve your flesh, to kill the flesh, and nourish the spirit. We're to nourish our spirits, that it grows. Our first guideline is this, abstaining from food and water. We find our second guideline in the first epistle of the Corinthians. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 7, and he's actually talking about marital relations here. Pay close attention. Verse 5, he says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Why? That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of the lack of self-control. Our second guideline here that we're to observe in fasting is we're to abstain from relations during our fast with our wives. Remember, fasting is complete depravity of our flesh. It's a time we are literally seeking to draw near to God. You need to understand what fasting is. You are drawing near to God. Interestingly enough, when you, when you read the account in Exodus 19, children of Israel had come out of Egypt, and they're going to present themselves before the Most High God. And they're at the mountain. What does Moses say? Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Why? Because they were coming to interact with God. They were presenting themselves before a most holy Lord. So thus far, we have this. First, we abstain from food and water. It's the most obvious. Second, we abstain from relations with our wives. There are five biblical guidelines that you need to follow when you fast. The next three we all find in a passage in Isaiah 58. Verse 1, we'll begin there. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me ordinances of justice. Listen, they take delight in approaching God. Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. So here we find our third guideline. And that is when you fast, you shouldn't be carrying on as though it's just another regular day. You're not to be doing your own pleasure. If I'm fasting, I'm not golfing. It's a day that's set aside exclusively for prayer, for worship, you're to be in the Word of God, and you're to be meditating. It's a day to be giving thanksgiving to the Lord. It's a day of repentance, crying out to God for His mercy. Someone who's finding their own pleasure in that day, and the day of their fast, they are fasting in vain, I assure you. Now, you think about this. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 14. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. This is what Paul's talking about, observing the day to the Lord. We're not to be golfing or doing whatever else, shopping at the mall. All right, let's continue in verse 4. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. To strike with the fist of wickedness, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is this a fast that I have chosen? 
a day for a man to afflict his soul. It is to bow down his head like a bulrush and spread out sackcloth and ashes. Would you call this a fast and acceptable day to the Lord? The third guideline here is humility. Bowing our head down like a bulrush. You're to approach God with a penitent heart in complete humility. We see the imagery used here in this passage in Isaiah. Uh, sackcloth and ashes. You know, those who are fasting, that they would take uh, a sackcloth, they would actually take their beautiful, comfortable garment that feels so good up against their skin, that their skin loves so very much, and they would take that off, and they would put an agitating, irritating garment on, typically of goat's hair, and it would annoy the flesh. It afflicts the flesh. And they would cover themselves in ashes, which is just another form of showing the fear of God in their hearts. Uh, it's like saying, woe is me. It's symbolic of mourning. It's symbolic of repentance, knowing that they themselves are nothing but dust and ashes. They are approaching the living God in complete humility. Verse 6, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? This is the power of fasting. When it's done properly, this is what happens. It breaks the bonds of wickedness that plague your life. It severs the oppression that is over you. The sins that have dominion over your life, they're taken out. Fasting is a spiritual endeavor that produces spiritual results. Now, as we continue in this passage in Isaiah, we're going to be given a fifth guideline that should be observed in fasting so that we will not fast in vain. And listen closely, verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Such an interesting twist on fasting. I mean, who would associate fasting with opening wide their hand to the poor? Who's ever heard of that? You want your fast to be acceptable before the Lord? You need to feed the hungry. You need to give drink to those who are thirsty. You need to house those who have no home. Amen? Does this phraseology, does this concept sound familiar at all? It should. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. As believers in Yeshua, we need to be diligent to work righteousness for the purpose that that righteousness that we are working goes before us, that the Lord may have mercy on us. Listen to verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness, listen to this, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. This is the power of fasting. When it's done correctly, Scripture actually tells us that you will call upon the God who made heaven and earth, and you know what? You'll be given His ear. 
and he will respond to you. We're given a great example of this concept, something that you would never attribute to fasting, this, this supporting the weak, giving to the poor, helping those in need. We find in the book of Daniel this very characteristic is found in its relationship to obtaining mercy from God by us doing these things, by us loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now the passage I'm going to show you in Daniel, it's found in chapter 4. This is where Daniel the prophet, he has this dream, right? In Daniel's dream, and he, had, he sees this vision of a great tree. And he's actually given the interpretation of this vision. And he realizes this great tree is in fact King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel, what he does, he goes on to explain this dream that he has directly to King Nebuchadnezzar. And after Daniel explains this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, this tree that is literally being chopped down, he realizes Nebuchadnezzar's going down. He's being chopped down. Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar profound advice. Listen to what he says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is an attribute that you are going to need to carry with you when you go to present yourselves to the Lord in fasting and in prayer. So the five things one needs to be mindful of when you're fasting. Number one, abstain from food and water, not a Tic Tac. <laughs> Amen? Nothing. Not a piece of gum. Number two, abstain from relations with your spouse. Number three, find no pleasure in your day of fast. Four, Go to God with a penitent heart, with a humble heart. That means in the fear of God, in fear and in trembling. Number five, open wide your hand to the poor. Now, I want to show you how this whole process looks like, what it, what it actually looks like when it's actually put into practice. And I want to do this by showing you a story of a centurion. It's found in the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 10. And we're going to read this story, and you're going to see this stuff put together. You're going to see this put to practice. It's beautiful. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man. Pay attention to the descriptors utilized of this man. A devout man, one who feared God, penitent heart, who with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always, Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. This is so powerful. Cornelius' alms and prayers have come up to the very throne of God as a memorial. Cornelius' righteousness had gone before him, exactly how we read in Isaiah 58.8. Now, as we continue in the story, we find that the angel, he instructs Cornelius to send men to Joppa to call for Peter. So Cornelius actually sends three men out. They leave, they go to Peter, and on their way, as they're going to meet with Peter, Peter has that famous vision, right? Of all different types of unclean animals uh, being uh, in, in a sheet bound at the four corners, and that sheet was being lowered. It was lowered three times. 
And what we find is, as Peter's wondering in himself what the vision meant, uh, the three men show up at his door. And clearly these three men represented the sheet coming down three times. But these three men, they persuade Peter to come with them to a Gentile's home. This is amazing. To come and meet with Cornelius. And verse 25, we'll pick it up here. Peter agrees to do it. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many uh, who had come together. Verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? Verse 30. So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting. Cornelius was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. This is the power of fasting. When you do it in accordance to what is acceptable to God, to what is biblical. The very reason Cornelius was fasting was to have God respond to him, to have God hear him. And what happened? He heard him. Interestingly enough, Cornelius' alms to the poor clearly show that they played an integral role in all of it. Remember what the passage in Isaiah stated. I want to read it again. Verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and, that ev and you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Cornelius cried out, and the Lord said, Here I am. The last thing the enemy wants you guys to do is communicate with God. The very thought is repulsive to your flesh. Your flesh isn't going to want to do it. This is why your flesh is going to fight you so hard. The very thought of fasting. The enemy doesn't want you to have knowledge to properly fast. That's why we're covering it today. Yeshua wants you to have that knowledge. The Apostle Paul had that knowledge, right? We're told in 2 Corinthians that he fasted often. This is a man who had the Spirit of God, and yet this man is fasting often? If you've read Paul's epistles, you realize real quick that Paul speaks of a man who is in fact engaged in war. That's how he speaks. He speaks of warning against the flesh. He speaks of warning against spiritual host of wickedness. So it's no surprise to find Paul was in fact fasting often because that's what fasting is. It is going to war. The Apostle Paul simply sought spiritual things. Paul wanted to communicate with God. 
He wanted to discipline his flesh, put it in subjection. He sought to be sustained by Yeshua. That was his bread, the word of God. There's power in fasting. I promise you, if we are all diligent, including myself, and we do it properly, the way the Bible describes it, we will enter into spiritual war like you've never experienced. It'll be amazing. Things that you couldn't kick, things that you struggle with, they will evaporate by the power of God. Ask yourself, how bad do you want to hear from God? How bad do you want to draw close to Him? You know, fasting is not easy, I can tell you that. In closing, let me say this. Why do we fast? It's very simple. To loose the bonds of wickedness. We fast for deliverance from the things that have power over us. Number two, we fast to hear from God. To have our petitions granted so that when we call out to Him, He says, here I am. Number three, we fast to take complete control of our flesh and not let it control us. In other words, we show it who's boss. And how do we fast one more time? Abstain from food and water. Abstain from relations with your spouse. Find no pleasure in the day of your fast. Approach God in fear, humility, with a penitent heart, and open your hand wide to the poor. Shabbat shalom. Thank you.